Hi there. Welcome to Mushroom Hour. Today on Mushroom Hour, we have the privilege of speaking with Darren Springer, a.k.a. Darren LeBaron. Darren Springer is an educator, researcher, and event organizer based in the UK. Known around the world for his shroom shop masterclasses, he is a keen mushroom cultivator and teacher and has been growing gourmet and medicinal mushrooms for the last 10 years. By day, he is an organic horticulturalist and food enterprise tutor and has translated his home-growing experience into a social enterprise. Darren is the mycologist in residence at Somerset House, one of the largest communities of arts and creative enterprises in the UK, and he is also a qualified permaculture teacher and facilitator and supports businesses and communities to create sustainable working systems and environments. He is a member and presenter at the London Psychedelic Society and is a chair and breaking convention committee member. Collectively, his work aims to inform and empower individuals from diverse backgrounds to cope with social challenges and contribute to community development as well as self-improvement in an innovative, creative, and culturally aware style. Darren, thank you so much for coming on the Mushroom Hour. Oh, my man, it's a pleasure to be here, man. As you're giving me the intro, I'm like, you got the perfect voice for like radio presenting, man. You need to do like meditation tapes and stuff, man. I can listen to <laughs> Oh, man. Well, uh, truly, it's an honor to have you. I've been following your work for a long time. Just out of the gate, I should recommend anyone to go look up Darren LeBaron. You've got a great website. You've got a great Instagram presence. You actually do some fantastic interviews with other mycophiles and really people in fields of psychedelia and all over the place, really in-depth interviews that are super interesting. So if anyone isn't familiar with your work, it's time to go and get familiar now. And so we've got a lot to talk about, but before we jump into it, I'm always curious to hear how you got on your path. You know, what were some of the influences, inspirations, key events that set you on this path into the worlds of kind of psychedelia, paradigm changing, mushroom cultivation, all that good stuff? Oh, man. So, you know, I always say, man, thank you again, man, for the opportunity to be on your platform and share. You know, it's like an honor as well from our side of the pond. You know what I'm saying? To be on your platform doing what you do, because I'm also aware of your amazing work that you bring to the table as well. So um, with that said, it's people like yourself and others who have been, you know, spreading the spores before me, you know, in their own capacity. But prior to mushroom cultivation and psychedelics, you know, I've always just had an interest, I could say, from childhood, man, and just, you know, the alternative, as some people refer to it, which later I would understand to be, you know, altered states of consciousness, you know, the occult, metaphysics you know history culture these are things that are you know i believe i was born with an interest in in knowing i think some of the early reminders for myself were some of my challenges i had at school you know in class we have teachers who said you know i was like a disruptive student at times where others would say you know i was an amazing student because i questioned a lot and asked a lot of questions and i challenged my teachers on things that i was being taught that i at the time thought that they either didn't know there was misinforming me or outright lying, you know. So um, I was always inspired to go and do my own research or my own Googles, as I, as we know it. But on that journey of being interested in African culture and history, and during that period of time in my late teens, early 20s, I started actually putting on events in the UK that were geared around those subjects and themes, you know, African history, culture, which, you know, a lot of people in this part of the world have been disconnected from. And uh, that inspired me to invite some of the people who inspired me to come and present and do talks and workshops 
sharing the tools in their own toolbox. And over the years of doing that work and the more I delved into African culture, the indigenous practices that the people of these regions were doing, I came around the knowledge of, you know, plant wisdom. We refer to it as plant wisdom or power plants, not prior to psychedelics, just for healing, you know, healing potential, you know, everything from growing up. And if you fall over and graze your knee, if you've got a sore throat, you know, if you've got problems with your innards, you know, there were certain plants or remedies that cultures and traditions had access to and were privy to. And a lot of that was shared orally. So I was kind of trying to dig all of that out through books and videos at that time. So, you know, VHSs and stuff like that, you know, that's where, you know, where it kind of all started. And I'm saying all that to say that I finally started to come across the knowledge of, you know, psychedelics within these traditional systems, which for me was kind of new because nobody had really educated me on, on, on that type of stuff. I would say for a few years, I came across that information and kind of rejected it because culturally, traditionally, where I'm located in this part of the world, you know, psychedelics is like a no-no. It was a taboo. So it wasn't something that I was privy to, really. You know, I was privy to it in certain circles just as far as it was used recreationally. People going out partying and having fun on those types of substances. I had friends who I went to school with who delved into that type of stuff. But again, it was primarily the white boys that I went to school with. And it wasn't something that me and my, me and my folks were interested in. So to come across these substances, again, by way of being interested in indigenous cultures, I was like, well, I've never heard about it from this perspective. And that's kind of what opened the curiosities as well as the interest to delve in further. And it basically lined me up with some people may be familiar with Kalindi Ee, who was a teacher, a mentor, friend of mine, an elder, who made the transition just over a year ago now. And he was the one and only person who was living and breathing that I could access that could share more information in regards to the stuff that I was picking out of the books because I wanted to talk to people and speak to people about it. And the majority of people around me, even within the conscious community that I was a part of, were not really privy to this stuff, man. So that was really the catalyst for, you know, the you know the communicating with Kalindi, you know, him opening his arms, his knowledge, his wisdom and sharing what he did. And at that time, this was around 2010, 2011, he was actually coming to the UK for the first breaking convention conference. And then that's where I got to meet him for the very first time. I was familiar with his work for many years, like over a decade, because he used to teach um, about the African origins of martial arts and um, various African fighting sciences. So this is what he was known for. So when people reintroduced me to his work by way of psychedelics, I was like, no, man, I'm not trying to meet up with the martial arts guys. I'm talking about this psychedelic stuff. They're like, no, this brother knows stuff and you know that's how yeah you know that's how I would say the depth of me really trying to find out more about it that was like was the key catalyst you know and then him coming to the UK for the conference it enabled me he was like you need to get yourself to this conference man it's like it's in your country man so I was like all right there was a few challenges but I finally did end up making it there and then to kind of round it up he was like the only person of color pretty much speaking at this event where there was like maybe 50 to 100 speakers, I can't remember the, you know, the exact number, 500 plus, maybe 1,000 people in the audience. And I was pretty much the only black person in the audience over the, over the long weekend of different talks and stuff. And Kalindi killed it, man. All I can say is that he killed it. You know, he was well-received, you know, as well as challenged some of the figures that were up on the stage with some of the notions of the direction that they would like to take psychedelics, which a lot of people are currently talking about now in the current climate as far as, you know, the institutionalizing of these organic substances. You know, he challenged them. He brought, he brought a lot to the table, man. And, and after that event itself, and that was like my wide-eyed experience, 
first time really going to an, an event like this, hearing about this type of stuff blew my mind. I'd recently had my own experiences and I felt that I got my calling, man. And my calling at that time was to support Kalindi. It was like, look, you're in my territory. You know, I'm going to knock some doors, open some avenues, you know, and get the ball rolling. So when you return, you're not mistreated as I felt he was, you know, and compared to other key speakers who were coming to the UK and sharing their knowledge and wisdom because he was so well received at this conference, pretty much the number one figure, in my opinion. If we go to the YouTube data and stats, you know, even his videos from these conferences have the highest numbers and stuff. Like, I was like, why are you not being taken care of, you know, properly? Like, you know, I'll do this from a grassroots perspective. So that's how we kind of connected and built from there. And I would say the rest is history. There's a lot of things, in, you know, that happen post that. But, you know, that was that was the real period of time and the things that took place to, you know, push me forward. What a privilege to get to work with Kalindi. I think he's someone who's influenced pretty much anyone in the modern day who's into psychedelia or psychedelic culture, is probably familiarized with your work. Like you're saying, he was prescient in addressing the issues that he was. Uh, and I think he specifically teased out a lot of the African roots, right, of this tradition, because a lot of people know about South American, Mesoamerican roots. I mean, that's a well research studied cultures in terms of their relationships with psychedelic mushrooms and other kind of plant medicines and fungi medicines. Before I had come across his work on YouTube, probably around that time, probably 2012, 2013, I had never heard of anyone talking about African roots. And of course, it makes all the sense in the world intuitively. Yes, of course, they were the ones who knew plant medicines. They were using it for ailments and things. Why wouldn't they also be aware of psychedelic potentials? And I know a huge part of your work then is discussing this idea of the the diaspora or the diaspora. Can you we just define that term and what that means? Because I think it's central to a lot of the different projects you work on and things you talk about. Sure. Well, you know, in a nutshell, what we're looking at is, you know, as I was taught in school, one of the maybe bits of the truth that I picked up was that life started in Africa, you know, and human beings, the current form of human beings, as we know them today, you know, migrated out of Africa, some of them returned and then migrated out again. And this is how, you know, the earth has basically been populated. And then what you've got in this current era of history is through by way of the kidnapping of indigenous African people on the continent and the distribution of these people to the Americas, the Caribbean, and eventually Europe, you've got people who have of African heritage, but are now in other parts of the world who didn't migrate by choice. So that's what we refer to as the diaspora, you know, African people that you find in other parts of the world. So me being in the UK, by way of the Caribbean, by way of Africa, I'm a child of the diaspora, a child of African descent in the diaspora. So you know, that's the term by definition and how I deliver that message or the people that are also engaged to reach those who have had a very similar experience to me. My follow up there was what kind of traditions may have been lost, obviously, in that forcible removal, both spiritual traditions, relationships with plants and fungi. But I really want to frame it as, was that tradition lost or did it evolve? Is that one of the tales of the diaspora? Is this disconnection from maybe not all of the spiritual traditions, but some of those kind of plant and fungi medicine traditions uh, as people were forcibly removed from Africa and spread around the world? Yeah, there's definitely this, that, and, you know, that what you share, the more, you know, all of those things combined um, in a sense of, you know, those people who were forced from the continent were removed by force from using their own tongue, their own languages, their own practices. They were given new names, new identities, 
new roles, new positions. They were mixed with other groups from other regions who spoke other languages. So a lot of the traditions that you find in various groups are unique to those specific groups. So then to kind of bundle the various groups together and then pop them in a location where it's not their home, a lot got lost, you know. In essence, it remains in the blood, you know, in the genes, in the DNA, you know, and has been passed on over the generations. But as well as, you know, the actual practices themselves, they were not traditions where they were recorded and written down. They were pretty much oral traditions, you know, and that's how the information is passed on to the next generation through, you know, rites of passages and initiations and so forth. So these rites of passages and initiations were no longer practiced because they had Christianity forced on them, you know, or Islam even before that. What they had to do in some places and spaces was adapt and cultivate new traditions or adaptive traditions based upon what they were able to hold on to, combined with other groups that had similar as well as different traditions, but bringing that together and having to hide it or cloak it behind the new traditions or belief systems that they were given. So you have various groups around the world that, you know, on the surface, it may look like they practice Christianity, for example, and the Roman Catholic traditions. But behind the veil, they actually were able to hold on to some of their traditions and cloak their deities behind the new deities that they were given. That's what people primarily call voodoo or voodoon. And you have certain traditions like Santeria, Condomble, and, you know, what comes out of Haiti and various other places in the Caribbean you'll find um, these traditions that were held onto by way of, as I said, cloaking it behind the new religions that they were for, that were forced upon them. So again, with this, there's various plant medicines that are associated with the deities that would have been, you know, indigenous to Africa. But if you're then relocated to America or the Barbados, let's say, those plants may not be there. <laughs> so therefore, you would need to adapt the traditions. You might have to start working with what you find locally or regionally you know, in those spaces and adapt the tradition. So, yeah, there was, there's all of that. So it's not all been lost. A big part of it has. You know, those who were remained on the continent of Africa were pretty much colonised and the same thing happened to them, just they weren't relocated. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff, what we could say, no different to when, you know, the um, traditions in Europe or the Americas even, as and when the new religions installed themselves in those regions, they um, demonized the previous traditions. They were called pagans or witches or, you know, all that type of stuff. So, yeah, Africa's been given several unfair experiences, as well as the media has supported the idea that if you go to Africa and you see them doing all that plant type of stuff, be careful because you might end up in a big black pot and then not return home. So that's what the people in the diaspora have also been fed, you know, people of African heritage. So we're really disconnected from all of that, too you know, just by way of the mind control, you know, that we've been put under. Now, for you as a young man who started putting these pieces together, you described that process of trying to get books, get some kind of records to piece together these oral traditions, uh, likely of a diverse set of cultures, you know, even in the way I frame that question, you know, indigenous African spirituality, well, that could mean hundreds of different things, depending on where you're talking about in Africa. This is a huge, diverse set of really intricate cultures therein. But do you think that process of young man piecing that together had some really deep change for you? I mean, I would say not physiologically, but maybe even physiologically, you know, rewiring brain patterns, definitely changing entire perspectives and how you see the world. What kind of effect did you notice on yourself? Okay, that's a wicked question. 
So I'm going to go back to move forward. So um, as a culturist, as a permaculturist, anybody out there that works with nature in some shape or form, you may understand this, you know. So let's look at the impact that something like that may have had, you know. Um, I'm in the UK and I can tell you now that if I go to the north of the country and take flowers, plants and bring them to the south where I'm currently at in the southeast and plant them in the soil where I'm at, they may not do too well. You know, they're used to us being in a certain environment. If I literally take seedlings and bring them, it's very likely they're going to die. They're going to require quite a bit of nurturing on the part of myself to keep them alive and to keep them prepared and being able to adapt to this environment. The same goes with animals. You know, you take certain animals from one place. You know, let's take a lion, you know, a tiger out of India and you bring it into a European environment, into a climate. It's going to take a lot for that animal to be able to survive and um, be able to adapt. And again, it's going to require some type of nurturing to support that life form in being able to adapt and become. I'm saying that to say that my people went through the same process and we weren't given any nurturing, bro. We weren't given any nurturing to adapt and prepare for where we were coming to, you know. I'll give a perfect example of my mother who came here, not by force, but by way of the idea that my grandparents would be coming here and create a better future for us coming by way of the Caribbean because being colonized by the British, the British went back to the, you know, Caribbean colonies and were basically pitching that we could come to the come to Europe in particular the UK, whoever your colonizers were, they were pitching to the various groups to come to their countries to help them develop their countries. You know, you could work on the transport system, you could work in the health system and create a brighter future for yourself because the streets are paved with gold. That's what they were taught, literally. And my mother as a 10-year-old came to the UK after being the eldest and being, you know, the, the way that it happened after the grandparents or the parents arrived. And they, as much as they could afford, they would then send back for the children. And the children would need to come one by one or depending on their income, they could bring them in, you know, as a group once a house has been purchased and, you know, to go forward that process. Thinking that they were coming to somewhere where they were going to be well received and the streets are paved with gold, that's not what they encountered. But they went through that, those challenges. And then, you know, in my case, my mother was then called over and brought to the UK when she was 10 years old. And my mother tells the same story to this day that arriving into the UK was like a shock to our whole system. So when you talk about the effects that it has physiologically, mentally, physically, the whole shebang, there's a lot there because she came here and as a 10-year-old, she thought that, you know, the sun had disappeared. She said it was grey skies, something that she'd never seen before and um, experienced a shift in her being. That was what I could say traumatic, where she cried for weeks, if not months, you know, in trying to adapt to this environment, even though she had the nurturing from my grandparents it wasn't enough to support her in making that smooth transition. So the plant, the animal, children who made these transitions, it can be really challenging. And I'm a byproduct of that. So I'm first generation, if you bring it home to me now, I'm first generation born in the UK by way of my mother, obviously. And um, I've inherited that trauma, man. If we talk about, you know, everybody's talking about psychedelics and trauma and epigenetics and all of that type of good stuff, you know, that trauma is part of my experience. And then to be in a place and space where you're not well-received, and in society, you're pretty much, you know, bottom of the ladder. You've got to challenge yourself in health, in education, and all these various areas just for basic, basic survival. These are challenges that, you know, are really challenging. And, you know, for over the years, it's not really been acknowledged how we ended up in this position. It wasn't by choice. And I say that to say that we're an experiment. We're a project like taking plants from various places and trying to adapt and see what's happening. And the nurturers were not great nurturers. That's all I can say, man. So the impact has been more detrimental than positive. 
But for me then to then be inspired and want to reconnect with who my people are originally by way of the Caribbean, by way of Africa, I've discovered an amazing story, one that they didn't teach me in school. I've discovered amazing facts, again, that they didn't teach me in school, which then inspired me to want to share and teach others that I, once I became privy to it, as well as invite those who had discovered that information to share more about that because I felt it was a key part and a missing link into our being and becoming who we are naturally, who we naturally are. So um, when you then dive into the plant medicine side of things and what that can actually undo, unlock for individuals who have been through that journey, there's a lot of potential in supporting those to having a great experience and learning that this journey has been just that, a journey. It's a learning experience and it may not have been one that, as I said, we wanted by choice and it may have been very challenging in areas, but again, it's like that's how, you know, diamonds are creating stuff man you know through pressure and friction creates new life and all these good things so when you are open enough to understand why we may have gone through this experience I think we can come back around to potentially becoming who we were destined to become and yeah we've been you know reconfigured you know being in this part of the world my features would change you know the further north you are the further south you are human beings adapt we see that in color in hue you know in all of these things there's adaptive things so that's why many people of color in this part of the world have got vitamin d deficiencies and things like that because we're in environments and climates where we don't naturally come from and so yeah there's been loads of um adapting needed to be able to survive and be in this place but as i said the rewards can be great once you kind of unpick that like kalindi opened doors you know into us discovering you know that work by way of the plant medicine When I hear the work of Kalindi, the work of someone like yourself, it seems like the message, the story you're telling, that what it did for you was help you to kind of reconcile and heal potentially generations of trauma just by understanding the story and understanding the real legacy of how African culture originated and what those roots Mm. really look like. I mean, it's, it's powerful. And then, yeah, you pair it with plant and fungi medicines and suddenly you can integrate some of those realizations and understandings most definitely definitely if you can what's an example where an aspect of psychedelia shows up in indigenous african culture like we said indigenous african culture is an umbrella term encompasses hundreds of different complex cultures but is there any undercurrent any theme any ritual use where the use of plant and fungi medicines shows up in some of those spiritual traditions. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, it's a, it's the same principles that I've actually found around the world globally as far as the reasoning behind why these plants were gifted to these various groups around the world. But when you're when dealing with Africa, they say the same thing. Primarily the technology, as I like to refer to them, the medicine that some people refer to it, was a technology that enabled them to communicate with the dead. That's why they say it was gifted to them. So, you know, it's a Wi-Fi, it's a Bluetooth, it's a mobile phone connection to the ancestral realms. That's where we've been traumatized in the past, let's say, you know, where we can access these places and spaces by way of the technology that will enable you to discover who you are, where you come from, and potentially where you're going to. You know, for me personally, that was part of the experience that it offered and gifted to me and I'm pretty sure it has for others just like anybody who dives into this place whether you're of Eastern European heritage you know Western you know North or South you know it's all to do with what's going inside of you you know the blood that runs through your veins so to be able to have a technology that enables us to reconnect with 
our ancestors, knowing now that we come from traditions that were primarily what they call ancestor cults, where the ancestors were the first point of contact, the first reference point, this is what this technology has been gifted to us to do. So within that, that would enable you maybe to discover, rediscover who you are, where you're from and where you're going to. Me personally, you know, at the first phases of my experiences, it allowed me to drop a lot of my load. You know, a lot of the stuff that I carry, call it trauma, but I just call it my load. Some stuff, you know, was inherited by way of, you know, my family members, you know, who who I've come through, things that I was taught. Some of it I created myself in my own head. But um, with that said, a lot of that baggage, I was able to lighten the load and not carry things with me moving forward that enable to free me up. That's what I think, in essence, these technologies enable you to do. They give you liberation. You know, that's what liberty capital, these kind of terminologies we use. It, it opens you up to true liberation, whether you're looking at esoteric or spiritual perspective and you're dealing with chakras and kundalini and energy and you're talking about you might have blockages in your heart chakra and all of that whatever angle perspective you're really dealing with this technology is the stuff that we're rediscovering in the west enables you to do that type of work which i feel these indigenous cultures have been dealing with and saying from day dot once they encountered it that's what they've been dealing with and how they've been utilizing it so if you can connect with your traditions i know we've been directly removed from knowing well I, I don't know where exactly in Africa I came from what traditions I was part of but knowing the principles and knowing where I am now in this part of the world and learning that I'm, I'm going to have to adapt and co-create with folks who are coming from similar backgrounds to myself and have similar perspectives we're in a position where that's all we pretty much can do and work with to move forward but it's definitely a liberating conscious shifting and technology that will enable you to make it greater later. And then how important is it that you intimated earlier about like the modern quote unquote psychedelic renaissance, kind of the direction I think a lot of people see it going down, which involves a lot of CEOs and corporations and stock market trading. You know, how important is it to have people like yourself, people from the diaspora community, people from communities that are more connected to indigenous communities that were working with these technologies, these tools from day one, how important is it to have that perspective as one of the leading voices in the modern psychedelic renaissance? I think that it could dictate an entirely new, more positive direction, but do you see that as well? Yeah, I definitely would like to think that in my experiences outside of the psychedelics as well, just various communities, you know, I come from a background, I'm I'm into hip hop culture, rap culture. And um, I think it's the same there, you know, where and how it all started is where you find the roots and you find it expressed in a more genuine, genuine, holistic approach. Once you start moving into business. So once those rappers on the block who were just rapping on the block for the fun of it to be creative, once the contract started to be presented to them and the big deals were put there they were you know some of them shifted their perspective you know to accommodate what common trends were and that model plays out in society like as part of our archetypes in many fields so i see it happening in the psychedelic community but i've seen it happen before in other fields so it's like the gold rush any new thing that pops up there's going to be corporates that will want to take full advantage just with alcohol once that was illegal and once there was a an opportunity to legalize it, to generate money through taxes and all that other type of stuff. There was a way forward with that, you know, that the corporate scene 
there were people who were dealing with alcohol, dealing with tobacco, let's say, dealing with their sacred plant medicines and technologies that had a more authentic approach. So in my opinion, it's about balance. I'm at the end of the day, you know, that these scientists, the academias, they play a very important part in pushing this renaissance forward. But let's not forget the people on the ground. Let's not forget the gatekeepers, people who are gifted these plants, like the folks that you will find in the Amazon who are gifted, you know, ayahuasca, those in Central Africa who are gifted Iboga. They are the gatekeepers, man. That's who the creative forces, nature, God, for a lack, lack of a better title, gifted these plants to and have been dealing with them for hundreds of thousands of years, hundreds to thousands of years. So before we run off and do anything, and even including myself, we should check in. You know, I don't know if you're not concerned about checking in, you know, when you go to a place, you need to check in and make sure that all's good, not just go there and pillage, you know, which history has shown happens quite a lot. So, um, yeah, I do feel that as and when the doors are open to allow other folks to come in and share their story, it brands up the place, man. You know, that's what happened in the United Kingdom. My mum said when she came, it was all great. But once they allowed Africans and Caribbean and Indian folk and Chinese folk here, it became a more colourful place. It became more bright. It's like we brought the sunshine with us, man. So, you know, and I think that just happens in, in culture and society and in other areas. So, yeah, there's that route. But at the same time, I come from a background where I'm not always or hoping or expecting anybody to open the door and hold it open for us. You know, like Kalindi, you had to kick down doors. You had to get in through the back door. And then we had to create our own foundations at the same time. So I think it's a combination of all those things that will make it a more holistic place and space moving forward. Yeah, and that was my next question was where does this perspective, this kind of indigenous informed wisdom, where does that find a seat at the table in modern society? Because I don't, obviously, corporations don't really answer that at all. But then governments don't really seem effective either. So yeah. when you're talking about kicking down doors, is it really people just showing up? You know, once you have this understanding, you've done the research, I don't know if you even want to call it knowledge of self, but you have knowledge of, of culture and roots of traditions and what certain core tenets are from those traditions that don't show up elsewhere, like reciprocity, like reverence for nature. Where does that find its way in to get a seat at the table to actually put us in that direction? Because I know people are hearing you speak and like me, they're saying, yes, I want more of that. I want things to go that direction. Yeah, I guess, where do we kick down the door? How do we get a seat at that table in your mind? And obviously it's a massive question, but in your experience and in your opinion. Yeah, so, you know, I've got some blue sky thinking ideas around how we can make it greater later, you know, but as a realist, I'm, I'm really pessimistic about it all, man. I told, I'll be honest, you know, because I've seen what his, history is my is my teacher, you know. And um, again, we're talking about psychedelics, which is so such a taboo subject still, even, with, you know, around the world. But I'm seeing this happen in the pharmaceutical industry. These are the medicines that they offer that people are comfortable with. And the same approach, this is exactly the same approach that I see happening in other areas, man. So for me, like history repeats itself, you know, in these cycles. And it's our job as, as and when the cycles come round again, like, what do you do differently? Rather than expecting them to do something different, like, what do you do different? You know, in my lifetime, I've seen so many marches and protests, you know, anti-poll tax, anti-war, anti-this, anti-that, people going out and marching, telling the government right now it's going down. Stop doing A, B, or C, whatever it is that they're doing, and they still go ahead and do it. Like that's something that I've witnessed. So for me personally, my perspective is like creating your own. Rather than expecting, you know, like a husband or wife situation, I want my wife to change. You can't change people. <laughs> that's not how it works. It's like, yeah, I'm not trying to change the system. If I can inspire people within that to have different perspectives, that's cool. But it's better off just like, you know, myself or actually done. When I 
felt that the school system, school system had failed me personally, and then I had children, do I send my children to school? Knowing that it failed me and it hasn't shifted or changed, do I send them to school? No, I didn't. I'm going to homeschool my children. That's the shift that I make, and that's the change. And then I can bring in those tenets of the hermetic principles, you know, the laws of my art, which are the universal laws of nature and the universe as we know it, and educate my children about that and others that are interested in that type of stuff. And it may be very much grassroots, but for me, that's where it starts. It starts with you, then it impacts your home. Then when you walk out your home, your neighbours are like, you're doing all right, you're smiling, you're feeling good. What's all that about? You can share with them. Then the neighbours tell the other neighbours, you heal the street, you heal the borough, you heal the city. We can heal the world. You know, that's my blue sky thinking. But with the current landlords or usual suspects, as I, you know, I like to refer to them that are, you know, who continually bring the same model, because it's the model that we're looking at, the model, the same model that's in education, the same model that's in health, the same models being executed in the psychedelic community, you know, where there's big boys at the top and it filters down to the bottom and the people at the bottom really don't know what's going on and they get fed the crumbs. So with the therapeutic potential and all these great things that psychedelics can offer, if it's these people at the top of the hierarchy and their agenda, I know that nine times out of 10, 9.9.9 times out of 10, it doesn't benefit the people on the ground. And those are the people who really need it. So it's the people on the, on the ground to determine where do you feel the shift will take place? Is it in the authority figures that you give the power to? Or do you re-empower yourself and the people around you and start with the five people in your house? that can times 10 and then be 50 people and times 10 and be 500 people and have faith in that, belief in that, because I feel that that's where, you know, the real work takes place on the ground. Going back to jumping to come back forth, but recently the list of the 100 most influential people in the psychedelic movement was put out there and I, I heard a lot of people were challenged and triggered by it all. At the same time, I would say to people, you know, I don't listen to the top 10 chart music, you know, when I that, you know, like, I don't know if Britney Spears is number one <laughs> and is reigning number one for, for months. You know, that doesn't bother me because I'm not tuning into Britney Spears. I'm tuning in to those guys on the ground. I might have to dig in the crates, as we say. I might need to go other places to find that music. But for me, that was part of the amazing journey. That's got, I've got this amazing CD collection now that enabled me to go and find out those groups, find out those artists. So I would say the same applies in this field. Like, if it's not taking place at these conferences, if it's not taking place in these forums, like, don't invest in it. You know, it's no different from, you know, any other thing. If you invest time, energy or money into it, you're breathing life into it and keeping it alive. Put energy and focus into what you do want. If you think it's somebody like me or Kalindi or others that are doing this type of work, like support us in whichever capacity you can or, you know, the exchange that, you know, kind of supports this going to the next level, to the next tier. And I think we're doing it. I'm here. I'm speaking with you. I never thought I'd be talking about this subject in my, in my entire life. I don't know how, I don't know how this has happened, you know, in that regards. I've got a good idea now, but at the time when I think, yeah, these are some of the steps that are being taken and I know I inspire people and I know other people inspire people. And I think that's how it happens organically. And we may not see it happen in the hierarchical system for a while, yeah. If it does, it won't be for a while. But I can't, personally, I feel like I can't lose another generation. I've got children. I'm not trying to lose my children to the streets, the drugs, the, all the things, the social media and all the things that are just being rammed down their throat. So for me, it's like, what do we do? What can we do now? And if it's just a small few of us, there's just going to be a small a few of us that make that shit happen. I think you just elucidated so many incredible insights in what you just described there. And I think one big takeaway that I know a lot of people can't always wrap their head around is how powerful it is 
to make those conscious changes in your own life and to really make those conscious changes. Like you're saying, don't support something that you know isn't doing anything that you want in the world. You know, to really be really strict about like taking the conscious understandings you have and applying it and how you operate out in the world, that does make a massive change. Mm. And people like yourself, you have inspired other people to do the same thing. So I am very much of the same mind about kind of hierarchical, you could even tag on, you know, hierarchical, male-dominated, heteronormative structures Mm. that are ever-present now. It's like this virus that whenever that structure comes in, run. (laughs) Because nothing good is going to happen. And it is kind of (laughs) turning away from that and building something else that really makes the difference and has actual change. Trying to change that won't affect a real change, but doing something else. And how much is cultivation, you know, horticulture, permaculture, even mushroom cultivation, how much of that set of disciplines is a part of that change, part of that creating something new in a new system? Yeah, well, for me personally, it was a big change. It was a big shift. Yeah, again, before mushroom cultivation, I just had to touch the soil again, man. That's what it really boiled down to. In my own genes, in my own genetics, in my own heritage, I come from farmers. I come from food growers. But being in this part of the world, I didn't know that. You know, I'm in the concrete jungle here in London. But it took me taking, returning back home to the Caribbean, hanging out with my folks there, like, right, everybody's farmers. Even if that's not what they do as their daytime job, they've got the skill set. You know, they can look at the sky and can say, yeah, there's east. We're going there. The sun's coming down. It's about to rain. And I'm like, how do you know? <laughs> how do you like those? These are the things that I really realized how far removed I've been from, you know, the knowledge and wisdom of that nature has to offer when you're when you're in tune with it. And part of my work was doing that work on myself. And I came back from the Caribbean and decided to re-engage in nature. I like nature I as a child, but as I got older, you know, my focus became money and women. And those are the things that were offered to me, you know, a career, not going out to the forest and hanging out there for, you know, a whole day because you can't hang out there for a whole day because you've got a job to get to, you've got classes to attend, you know. So these things were not encouraged. So once I decided to slow down and reconnect with nature and decided to sign up for a sign up for a horticultural class, more than it wasn't even a course to volunteer, I started volunteering started volunteering at a local food growing project that enabled me to then take it seriously. I'm like, I've got a garden now for the first time in my life because I grew up in in a state type area in blocks of flats, what you guys might call projects. So, you know, it wasn't much green life around me. Didn't have environments to grow and I lived in a block of flats on the 10th floor and our balcony got invaded or taken over by the pigeons. My mum said, we're going to let the pigeons stay there because we're not meant to be living this high. They're meant to be this high, but not us. So with that said, I had minimum green finger skills. But having a garden, I wanted to re-engage with that. And, you know, from my childhood. And then as an adult, I reconnected with my child again. All that kind of inner child work that people start talking about. I really started doing that again through volunteering and seed sowing, man, and doing some real simple things, but having fun with it. And, you know, as we now know, or I now know at least, just going out in nature and touching the soil is therapeutic. Touching the tree walking barefoot you don't have to actually do much a lot of people say i don't like the worms i don't like the dirt the soil and all this stuff i'm like all right that's fair enough but you know just being out there breathing this fresh air is part of the healing process so for me i realized that if i could integrate that into my life it would definitely be part of my healing so at that time i had a background working with young people primarily in creative arts music and filmmaking that type of stuff i decided by way of connecting with the people who i was studying with at that time if I had the opportunity to shift my career 
and teach young people this, I'd be interested. And they were also interested. So we was able to partner up and do that type of work. So I've seen young people transform by way of just going out and seeing butterflies and bees and flies and worms and bugs and stuff where they're 10 again, as we like to refer to it. Whereas as a 16, 17 year old caught up in a gang lifestyle, they've got so many layers, so much bravado, so much ego, as some people refer to it, that blocks them from reconnecting with these types of things. So we take them out of the hood, put them back to nature. And we've seen some of the results. It doesn't happen 100% of the time, obviously, you know, there's various challenges, but we get results just even just allowing them to take off a few of those layers from that onion, man. We all, you know, we're all onions and we can remove some of those layers. So the fact that a lot of the times now, these shifts happen in our adulthood when we're having a midlife crisis, <laughs> when our backs are against the wall, I don't think we need to wait <laughs> till that takes place. Like we need to be tying that into earlier experiences. So for me, the discipline of cultivating, you know, and I got into mushroom cultivation through understand about composting and soil science these are the things that I was kind of rediscovering and having fun with again and learning about and then I learned about mycelium and all that kind of good stuff and I was like how comes I didn't learn this when I was a child like this is so useful for me now and I can see how it's going to support me in moving forward I now make a, you know a living through this I never thought I'd be teaching people how to grow food and mushrooms and stuff like that that was an I want to be a rapper I want to be a footballer you know these are the things that as a child I was striving for and to be a food grower like some of the students tell you say to me it goes oh you must have failed in life sir that's why you became a food grower I'm like nah like today I told them I'm doing this because you guys are the last hope my generation the ones before we failed you in educating ourselves about how we can support nurturing planet earth we're filling up landfills and know doing these very unsustainable processes that are destroying nature and the planet that we live on and if you guys don't make the shift it's a wrap i've got children i want them to be here and enjoy the future too you know so it's not because i failed in life this is my calling in life we banter and we have jokes about it all and something you know for the most part they get it man they get it bro and i think that yeah that's the education that needs to be integrated but not when we're adults. So, but yeah, it is beneficial. I didn't do it until in my adulthood and reconnect with it. It's been extremely beneficial to me. Disciplines that I've learned, the patience I've learned, mushroom cultivating, how patient you need to be, you know? So if you're impatient with your children, literally you've got children who you're very impatient with and you learn how to cultivate mushrooms and you learn this, because they're your babies too. You realise your mushrooms are your babies, man. And you've got to be patient with them. You're like, I'm more patient with my mushrooms than I am with my actual children. You know, like you might be able to translate those skills. Those skills become transferable, man. And yeah, it's just an interesting journey you can go on through engaging with nature, you know, literally just going out, touching the soil, walking in the soil barefoot or learning a new skill, you know, learning to grow particular plants that you like, plants that you would like to eat. These things here, you know, are very much an inspiration. And I'm pretty sure when people start that journey and grow, like the young people that I work with, you know, they're like, who wants to do food growing? I don't care about food growing. Because I work with a lot of the students who got kicked out of school, just come out of prison and stuff like that. Like, who wants to be engaged in this type of stuff? And I'd have to engage them mainly through the food enterprise element, how, to, how they can generate incomes and stuff like that, which they have, you know, more interest in. But I can guarantee you, every time I do my session, the very first session, I do the food enterprise, show them how much money or income can be made. They're like, all right, we want to grow food because we can make loads of money. They're like, all right, well, before we make the money, we've got to learn how to sow these seeds. And when we start sowing seeds, by week two, those seeds start to germinate. You see them break down. Oh, look at the plants. Look at the seedlings. Oh, look, 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 they're growing. It's like, ah, but you were the big, tough gangster last week. 
already we're breaking you down. So this is part of the journey that cultivation offers, you know, the human being wants to start working with nature rather than against it. You get to be on the front lines of watching that relationship change people. Uh, like you said, for most of us, it happens later in life, but I can't ever overstate that enough. And I know people in my own personal life and my circle is sick of hearing it, but mushroom cultivation or really any kind of cultivation is one of, I like to think of it as rebellious, but it's one of the most impactful, powerful things you can do because everyone talks about how they want change. And it's like, man, this is one of the most tangible things you can do to implement change. You are physically changing the environment around you. And it's kind of that alchemical notion that by doing that work outside of yourself, you're changing the inside of yourself. It's one of the most potent things I see as kind of this toolkit of making effective change and building a new system is learning about food growing, learning about cultivation, learning about soil science. It's inescapable to me. And so this is perfect to then talk about Shroom Shop and the work you're doing now. You know, what do you teach people with the Shroom Shop? How has that grown? What does that look like? Because now you're mushroom cultivator par excellence. I appreciate that, man. Again, who would ever thought, man, growing mushrooms or cultivating mushrooms, should I say. For me, again, I think, you know, it goes back to, you know, some of the ideas that I learned through just the food growing side of things, like just what you said. And I'm going to just echo to say, you know, I believe, not believe, I know that growing your own food is a revolutionary act, man. Growing your own food is a revolutionary act. You can go and do all the marching and protesting and all that good stuff, but it starts at home. It starts in your back garden. It starts at zone zero, all the permacultures out there. You know where it starts. And that's where true revolution and change and shift takes place. With that said, growing your own technology, growing your own medicine is like, whoa, that's like next tier. If you're talking about growing your own technology, your own plant medicine, shift your consciousness, create a better environment within yourself that will then impact what's going on outside yourself. You know, what's more powerful than that? So that's what really inspired me to start teaching cultivation because I just wanted to learn it for myself. That's where it all started. I was, oh, I was selfish. I just want to learn how to grow this stuff for myself. And then I realized what I gained and gleaned from it. And then knowing that as a teacher, you know, and I wasn't a teacher primarily in schools, but it was those hard-headed students who made me better teacher or become the teacher that I've now become, you know, through the challenges that they gave me, where now I can step in a room and work with students who actually want to learn about the cultivation that I'm here to offer. So I think, you know, the challenges of being in the class and being told, what the hell are we doing there? This is BS. Nobody wants to grow food. You're here because you failed in life. Who We want to learn and what are the substrates and what's this and what's that? And it's a whole nother learning experience. So after shifting and coming into that space, I was like, okay, I want more of this. But it's a better exchange. It's a fairer exchange. Although I like and get rewards from the students that I work with in the schools, it was a thing where like, well, let me see if I can share what I've been able to learn the basic levels of mushroom cultivation to everyday people. Because when I first stepped in, I did pick up some of the recommended books on mushroom cultivation. And then even as a horticulturalist, the information went over my head. I felt like I needed a science lab, which I don't have to this day. I felt like I was, you know, economically unaccessible to these resources. You know, I felt really like, wow, like even to grow mushrooms out here is a, is, is a challenge in many areas. But between Kalindi and others, you know, I was able to adapt what I learned and create some real low-tech, simple processes that you can do in your lab, which would be your kitchen or even your bathroom, you know, your bedroom, wherever you, you would set your lab up and cultivate medicinal and gourmet mushrooms. Between creating these simple processes or adapting, not in creating, you know, adapting these processes and simplifying them, 
and making them engaging because I learned how to be engaging through teaching these students who didn't want to learn. So I had to find these interesting ways of getting their attention and keeping them up with what I was trying to share with them and applying that to mushroom cultivation, man. And that's how it kind of started, just as me and two or three people in a room, which then there was five people and 10 people. And then by the time I was doing it with a few a few other circles, you know, it kind of got further afield and people were like, would you bring that here? Would you bring that here? You know, we've got a group of young people. Would you be able to teach them how to grow oyster mushrooms? And it all just started from there organically once again. And then the London Psychedelic Society, who actually partner up with to do the shroom shops on a regular basis, they were the ones that really supported me in, you know, getting it out nationally, at least in, in the United Kingdom, to, you know, and I partnered up with other societies in the UK. Obviously, the fungi that those guys are interested in growing was different from what I was teaching the guys in the school and stuff. But as you know, the skills are transferable. Just like the students who I work with, they would be like, sir, you're going to teach us how to grow weed. I'm like, no, I'm not going to teach you how to grow weed, but these skills are transferable, man. And I hope you you do the right thing with it. But at the end of the day, it is what it is. And it goes the same with, you know, in the workshops. You know, I teach people how to grow oyster mushrooms, sakaki mushrooms, king safari, indoor, outdoor grows. What you do in the privacy of your own home is your business. I'm not interested. I don't really care that much to know what you're doing. There might be other people that do. So I just encourage you to be responsible with however you use these skills moving forward. But yeah, I get energy and passion from teaching and sharing, especially mushrooms, because I know the role that they played in my life from sustaining me physically, giving me food to eat that I can grow myself, that crossover in so many different nutritional benefits and cuisines, you know, areas where it's that diverse, to, you know, the medicinal and the, the magical, as we like to refer to it, the roles that it's played. So to empower people to be able to cultivate themselves, I get love from that, man. I get joy from that. So the shroom shop is involved being just a beginner's cultivation workshop man and now i teach an advanced workshop as well where you know that was it's over a two full days or a four-week period where we go into some more you know advanced techniques you know working with other substrates and indoor and outdoor growing and stuff like that and i've actually got a retreat in jamaica coming up where we've got a mushroom cultivation retreat taking place so yeah it's gone from me growing mushrooms in my home to teaching them in schools, other communities, to where, yeah, I've been traveling the world for the last few years now, inspiring thousands of people. You know, even within the Psychedelic Society, we've had over now two to 3,000 people come through over the years now, physically and now online, and that's just with them. So, you know, in schools and other places and spaces, we're spreading the sport, as I like to call it. It just shows how empowering and enriching this process can be. You start out just doing it for yourself. You never know where that's going to end up. Uh, and that gets back to that idea of disseminating change that we were talking about. Just by going on this journey for yourself, suddenly you're teaching thousands of people around the world how to grow mushrooms. And I'm a firm believer that pretty much every human on the planet should have a knowledge, like like gardening, like people, everyone grows tomatoes. Everyone should have a familiarity to grow, you know, the most basic mushrooms. Yeah, like oyster mushrooms, something hearty. They should be able to do that. And I think we would be a better planet for that call that blue sky it probably is but i think that would be a positive change to see just everyone being familiar with this organism and all the change that getting familiar with a new organism imparts in the person trying to understand it now if you had a few key tenets of advice advice for people who are on the fence they want to start growing their own mushrooms bring this up because a lot of people ask me this and i am not a cultivation expert by any means but if you have words of wisdom, words of encouragement for people that want to get into growing mushrooms for their own food, medicine, whatever use out there? Mushroom cultivation can be challenging, but the rewards are great. You know, the rewards are really great and are multifold. 
But with that said, you can do this with pretty much things you've got laying around the home. And this is what I think is the amazing thing with mushroom cultivation. You can just have a mushroom that you forage, the mushroom that you've picked up from your local store, and you can start growing it again. You know, as long as you are able to identify the habitat, the environment that this mushroom comes from, the food it likes to eat, the food that it naturally decomposes. Some are specific. Some have a range where they like they like grain, they like wood. So you can adapt and create a food, a plate of food for a mushroom, you know, to start eating. Then when you could start cultivating yourself. So I'm saying that to say that you can get a mushroom that you got from the store, get a plastic container, you know, that you might have had from a takeaway. And you can get some cardboard, you know, which is just, you know, you can pick it up from, from out the street and start the process of mushroom cultivation. You might not even get, it's not something to necessarily get fruit from, but just that process of sterilizing the cardboard, which is simply pouring boiling hot water over it. Everybody's got access to a tap. They can boil up some hot water and then you pour it over the cardboard and you're sterilizing the cardboard. And this mushroom that you've got or foraged or been gifted, you know, you can chop it up, sprinkle bits on top of the cardboard, create layers, just like a lasagna. You know, so you're, like, you're in the kitchen cooking it up, place the lid on the container now and leave it for a few weeks. And you're going to start cultivating an alien. You're going to be growing an alien, guys. Who's ever grown an alien before, you know? Who wants to grow an alien? Well, I did. And the children, the students that I work with do, they're children. It's child's play, man. So you can start growing an alien in the privacy of your own home and growing mycelium. And once that mycelium grows or colonizes that cardboard substrate you can then introduce it to something more nutritious you know something like straw or another wood substrate so to speak that you can easily pasteurize or sterilize again at home and you can then be growing tons and tons and tons of mushrooms in the very near future for the rest of your life off that one mushroom that you was gifted or foraged or bought from the store you know and again i've simplified the process but it is really that simple and straightforward so to pick that skill set up and that's where I started with, you know, real basic techniques. But then you adapt it and learn it. It's like, you know, when I'm here, you feel like a scientist at times, you know, or you're cooking it up in the kitchen. You know, it's like you're bringing out skills and qualities in yourself that not many other areas in cultivation. As I said, as a plant, you know, somebody deals with plants. There's some techniques in mushroom cultivation that are just unique to mushroom cultivation, man. And going through those processes and procedures can be fun, you know, as well as interesting in a learning process. And again, it can be cheap and cheerful. I always tell people, if you've got a bin, an old bin, a linen basket that you normally put your dirty clothes in, if you can get hold of a box, you know, a, a, an old bucket, you know, like this is where, where and how you can start growing, you know, food as well as technology that could potentially, you know, save the world, heal the world. What a better place to start them with the fungi that started this whole process off in the first place. You've just laid out a scenario where we don't really have any excuses not to start cultivating if we're interested and the rewards could be as noble as saving the world. So some great <laughs> words of wisdom, some great words of advice for everyone to get into mushroom cultivation. You hinted that you were a seeker before you didn't believe what the teacher said. You knew there was something more going on on this planet than what we're taught in school. But how is this process? You know, there's a lot of elements here, but this process of getting your hands in the soil, learning about cultivation, horticulture, mushroom cultivation, and then learning more about your own indigenous ancestry, spiritual traditions, learning about psychedelic technology. Were you a spiritual person, I guess, before that? And how did that influence your spiritual trajectory to just learn all these disparate and put together this unique set of information and skills that you have? 
Yeah, man. I know I might be new on the scene and I might be fresh, but I'm not that new. I'm not that fresh, man, in a sense. So I've been interested in this stuff for years now, man. I'm in my 40s. And I can say as long as I can remember, I've had these curiosities. So once I was old enough to start going to the library independently and buying books and videos and stuff at that time, I've had an interest in that other side. You know, I think it started for me as a child, just based on like dreams, things like that. Like we dream. What the hell is a dream? You know, why do we dream? These were things that I would talk about and question. And then these would be like books that I'd want to buy and read and check out. So, you know, this journey that I was on, you know, as far as the spiritual path, so to speak, I come from that premise of it. It's like real early. I built, like I know I was born with it, you know, and inspired by that. And not all the people around me, including family, were able to answer the questions, you know, and offer the direction as to where to go for that. So with that said, I had to become a nerd with it, man. And I had to pick up bits and pieces from all, you know, because it's a fragmented story, a fragmented history. So I've had to, at that time before physically traveling, you know, just learning different schools of thought. So being raised in a Catholic environment, although in my household it wasn't enforced on us, but I went to Catholic schools, both primary and secondary schools. My family were friends primarily come from, you know, a Catholic background. So I was given a good old Jesus story, you know. So with that said, that's how a lot of the, first breaking downs or revealing of the mysteries behind what I was being taught really started. So I was inspired by Christianity, but started banging on Christianity. Like, I'm going to expose Christianity, you know, that it's not what it says it is and all that type. I was into that type of stuff. And, you know, and then I get to find out about the New World Order, you know, conspiracy theory stuff. And, you know, it just opens up these different pathways. And for me, I was taught by many of my elders and teachers, you know, go through it all, go through all of it, take a bite chew on it what resonates give it a swallow what doesn't spit it out you know and keep it moving and I've just delved into quite a wide range of interests and curiosities where even the things that I'm interested in personally I also check out the opposite the polarity of that I want to hear what opposing people you know if I'm saying that garden is going to save the world I want to hear what people say garden is bs and why it is BS. Because what I do know is that there's truths and half-truths in everything, you know. So there may be points that I can glean, lessons I can learn from the person who's saying the opposite of what I believe in. So that was where I then spent a lot of time after I left home becoming pretty much a hermit man and just rolling with people on a similar path and we would crack out the books, crack out the DVDs or the videos at that time and then the DVDs, roll up one, you know, and kick back and (laughs) soak up the knowledge, man. And that's where my interest came and then as I mentioned I then actually started contacting people who inspired me you know the books that I was reading the authors of the books and the you know the references that I was coming across I'm like I'm reaching out to them like look I know what you're doing I know what you're about you're inspiring me I think you could inspire others I'm an event organizer if I was to event arrange an event would you would you accept my invitation and to this day I've not had nobody say no that I invited to you know some of my heroes they were my heroes literally they were like the Kalindis the Bobby Emmett's and well, there's many of them out there that, you know, just said, like, cool, man, like, I'll come and, and support you in what, in what you're doing. So with that said, my studying of ancient history and culture has been for decades. But because I only encountered the psychedelic experience in my mid to late 30s, that was then a complementary experience, which then kind of reinforced why I had been doing all of this studying leading up to this point where I could then go ahead and, you know, spread the spores confidently because what it actually did do was just allow me to revisit all those books that I'd picked up and knowledge that I'd picked up over the years and make sense of it all to like I no longer was going to be just an 
an information nerd or someone that just deals with what I like to call intellectual masturbation and sounds smart, but what are you actually doing with it? And that was where, you know, that experience really solidified my place in this space. It still took me many years to stand up and say my piece. I was like, no, 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 I'm not. I'm the person behind the scenes. And Mushrooms and Kalindi and others were like, no, no, get out there, say your piece. You've got something to say, say your piece. And that's kind of where I came through on that. I think a lot of people who are seekers, there's a lot of people nowadays who consider themselves, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Yeah, and you start learning about hermeticism or you start learning about all these esoteric things in the world, but then what do you do with it? Mm. And I think for so many, that complementary journey of discovering, maybe it's psychedelics, maybe it's mushroom cultivation, maybe it's horticulture, or maybe it's all of them, kind of gives you these outlets to then implement some solutions. And all the knowledge that you learned has its place and it's all complementary, like you're saying. Uh, but yeah, it just gives this avenue for solutions. And I, I had a feeling that's what it did for you, but I always love hearing the story. And I think a lot of us can find ourselves in that story of being a seeker, if you want to break it down to the base level, the world we know is a lie in a lot of ways. How do we deal with that? What do we do? Where do we discover the truth? And then eventually, I think after long enough seeking, you start thinking, okay, what can I do that changes this? And I think so much of the work that you're doing now is really on that solution, that change kind of side of things. And it's it's really inspiring. And I hope people take that away that what we're talking about aren't small acts, but actually they're part of this larger journey or, or calling that we're all on to improve the world. And I think all of these things fit in there integrally into, into that process. Well, we've scratched the very surface on all of these topics with you. I said at the beginning, people can go to your Instagram channel, your website, see all the media you put out, and you dive deep with guests on every single one of these topics. But where can people connect with you? You know, where can people find more information, include, you know, classes and all that good stuff as well? Sure, man. So I've got the website is where you can access pretty much everything, which is darrenlebaron.com. That will give you links to the Instagram and the Facebook and the Patreons and all of that type of good stuff. Everywhere on these platforms, you find me under the name Darren LeBaron. You know, I partner up with the Psychedelic Society in London and various other groups within the UK, the Breaking Convention. So you can find streams of my stuff on their platforms too. Um, I have a YouTube channel, Darren LeBaron. Go check it out, subscribe, follow on all of those other platforms. And currently, I've got the Streamshot Masterclass, which is available to download and stream and on the Dandelion platform. So again, if you just kind of put my name in and things should pop up and come back to you. What I'm really excited about, two things that I'm excited about that I do feel that I could share and should share is one, the first of its kind, which I'm currently going to be delivering in partnership with the Ancestor Project, formerly known as the Sabina Project, is a three-week course, which is called Psychedelic Emancipation. But what it's really geared around is in the series of talks that I've and presentations that I've delivered around psychedelics in Africa, the untold story. So I've turned my two to three hour presentation into a three week course. So we've got a three week course coming up, which starts on June the 8th. And the time is suited for people in your part of the world, you know, in that hemisphere, because it's American time in like 8 p.m., which is like early morning for us here in the UK. So I hope to deliver it with a UK partner in in you know in the autumn sometime where it will be for the for the uk audience but we're, yeah, i'm going to be going in it's going to be the first of its kind like I, i'm not aware of anything or anybody doing anything like this at the moment 
same with the ancestor project. I'm not sure too many people that are doing what they're doing. So to partner up and collaborate with them to push this forward, I think we're you know we're doing some groundbreaking stuff. So I'm really excited about that. And um, today I've just come from one of the school projects that I've been working on for the last couple of years, where we're building a mushroom academy. Man, it's going to be the first of its kind in the UK where we're going to be giving young people the opportunity to actually get a mushroom accreditation, certification for mushroom cultivation. I don't even have one. They're not on offer here in the UK at the moment. So we're really close to, you know, we've written the accreditation. I wrote the accreditation in partnership with the school. You know, we've been able to get it out there and the grow project. And I'm just really excited about that. And in the September, when the children return for the new academic year, we're going to be rolling out mushroom cultivation courses as part of the, you know, the curriculum here in the UK. So hopefully there's people out there in the world that would be inspired to get the young generation or the future generation of mushroom cultivators prepared for the future. And we can do that and actually give them some kind of certification, which is also a way of engaging these young people because everybody loves a certificate. I want, I want a certificate. I want to go on my own course and, you know, evaluate myself, and see if I can pass just to get, you know, to get my, to get my certificate and stuff. So, yeah, these are things that are happening that are part of initiatives that I mean, I'm really excited about at the moment hugely hugely inspiring work really at the forefront of some of the most exciting elements of psychedelic culture of mushroom cultivation so i encourage people to go and not only you know obviously sign up for the classes get your own shiny certificate if you're there in the uk or is it worldwide it's in the uk it will be worldwide it will be worldwide baby (laughs) (laughs) well i I encourage people to go show up, not only by taking part, but I know there are people listening who have knowledge about mushroom cultivation, who are starting similar projects. And, you know, don't wait for permission or an invitation. I really encourage people to jump in and find ways to support if you can, because I like to think this decentralized network of people like yourself, people who are starting these projects all over the world, can link up, share knowledge, share resources, and it creates that new system we're talking about. It's not hierarchical. It's people doing their own thing all over and sharing and cross-pollinating or cross-sporulating, yeah, whatever you're going to call it. And I think it, it's really beautiful. And yeah, no, I agree. I use those exactly the same terms. I think that's the most accurate way to describe it. Well, of course, at the end of the interview, all the great questions start flooding into me. But I will ask one last question that touches on something we've talked about the whole time. But I guess that is, uh, as someone who you know, has studied this information and who's really one of the people out there talking about the diaspora, its relationship with psychedelic culture. Do you think there is a hunger out there for this connection, for the diaspora community to remember this connection to plant and fungi medicines? Do you see a real desire from people out there to to hear this information and learn this information? Yeah, I could say it took a minute for me to honestly bear witness to what I'm witnessing and experiencing now. But um, just to inform people, this message that I deliver, this sharing that I offer from an African diaspora perspective is actually world global history. It's our story. It's the world story. It's not just for African people. It's not just for Caribbean. It's a story, man. And if you're an earthling, you know what I'm saying? I know not all of us are, but if you're an earthling, you know, and you're interested in Earth's story, then it's your story too. You know what I'm saying? And what I've discovered is that there were initially barriers in me actually engaging my own community because it was such a taboo subject there's you know most of the people that i grow up around as i said have been under the mind control of the religion that were forced on them and the laws that govern these places and what i'm talking about is contradictory to that type of stuff so it takes a minute for some people to come around those who come to learn and understand this path you know definitely they're excited about it 
But what I found more interesting is the impact that it has on other groups and other cultures as well. You know, I have people now from all over the world that holler and be like, yo, man, you've inspired me to go check out my roots, my own roots. You know, I was about to spend a £3,000 or dollar euro ticket to go to Peru. And, you know, I'm in Ireland. I'm in Scotland. I'm in Eastern Europe. I was in Prague, you know, a couple of years ago and, you know, in other parts of the world. And people are like, yeah, man, you know, I've been looking into Southern American, you know, Central American traditions, which, again, I'm all for. I, I dig all that type of stuff. That's what I'm interested in. But, you know, it all starts at home, man. And if, you know, we get in where we fit and own who we are and honour the blood that runs through our veins and stuff like that, I think that holds more weight. So, yeah, there's definitely an impact and a, a global impact, a butterfly effect that I think we can change the world, so to speak. But definitely because there's been little fruiting bodies popping up, you know, pretty much on all the continents, you know, all the, if I think of, you know, pretty much all the continents where we've got, you know, the Western world has impacted, they've got access to the internet at least, people have hollered from those places and be like, yo, man, I'm, you know, I'm going to check out my stuff and I'm as interested in your story as well and, you know, what's going on in Africa. Because, yeah, I do realise that, like you said, it, it kind of makes sense, isn't it? If we know that that's where life started, you know, cultivation and all these things have been happening for millenniums now, like, why wouldn't they know about it? The plant medicine, you know, as we refer to it. And they do, they definitely do. And they have a story that hasn't been told. So I understand that, yeah, we're in an interesting time and space and we're in a season where, you know, this is, I would like to think, will be well received. I'm really glad you brought that up because hearing some of the pieces that I've picked up about, you know, Mesoamerican roots, African roots, how those cultures disseminated, but some of the original tradition, I mean, it changes something in your own brain and inspires you to look into your own indigenous roots. And, you know, we're laying out what I kind of thinking as, as this toolkit to make effective change and change the societies that we live in. And so definitely one huge part of that is connecting with your indigenous belief systems, your indigenous rituals, things like that at some level is an intimate part of that to kind of know who you are where you came from and yeah yeah rather than um as i like to say you know superimposing yourself or copying and pasting from other traditions and cultures you know doing them a disservice disrespect in some in some regards when um like the idea you know like the grass is always green on the other side it's like no man you've got some like i say to the people in the uk there's amazing history and rituals and rights that i'm interested in because i'm first generation born here you know in the uk so you know i was conceived here i'm formed by the soil that comes from this environment and the, the elements in the air. So I'm part, I'm, you know, I'm part of this thing here. So I'm interested. Therefore, I think you should be interested too. And when you do explore that, you find out about the leprechauns and the pixies and the Celtics and all of that good stuff, which was going on in Cornwall and Ireland, Wales and Scotland. And, you know, there's a vast wealth of information out there yet to be uncovered and rediscovered by the people who come from this soil here. And I found out that that pretty much applies to, you know, all the continents. And because this dispersal and movement of people, whether it's by choice or force, has impacted people by the way that they're now disconnected from their roots and traditions, you know. And they know about McDonald's and Playstations and iPhones and Androids. But you ask them, you know, what, you know, what foods grow from where you're from and, you know, what is the value of that, you know, the nutritional value, the healing value, some of that wisdom that your grandparents held or hold you know that we can reconnect to lay dormant inside of you man and the technology definitely can open you up to that and i'll say that to say i'll round up by saying you know i know it's going out on the podcast and they may not be able to see but you know i'm holding a mobile phone with technology you know the forbidden fruit i've got an iphone as well you know what i'm saying and we all know what the logo is you know when you buy that forbidden fruit 
like what enables me to do what we're doing now and you know communicate on the phones and utilize this technology is like crystal technology literally it's crystal plasma technology and stuff which unfortunately they're still stripping many places on the african continent and other places around the world them of their resource to enable us to utilize this technology but within the same breath we actually have this technology inside of us we have crystals blood technology plasma that enables us to commune with our peers with our ancestors organically and that's what kalindi was a big you know advocator of and what he what really motivated and inspired me that we could start to put the synthetic technology down and start to use the organic technologies that we have on our doorstep that runs through our veins so to speak without having to look on the other side copying and pasting you know and um, gentrification all these things that are coming all these asians and at the end of them like you can do you you can do you can really do you and I think that's what I like to inspire that it is primarily a message that comes from an African perspective because that's where and who I am where I come from but the message the principles should translate to whoever you are wherever you are and I see one of the huge themes of our age is we've outsourced so much of our power to technology you know human beings thousands of years ago discovered mechanical technology and now we've built kind of a technotronic world and what you've just laid out reconnecting with your culture reconnecting with the soil definitely reconnecting with the mushrooms is all part of reclaiming that human technology and that human power that's always what i tell people i i'm excited for the day when we start moving toward systems societal and cultural systems that are again based around the well-being of humans and nature, not machines and efficiency. Mm. And I think some of the tenets you just laid out are really the physical steps we can take to get back on that path. If you understand where the sun is, what grows where, you start becoming part of this actual living creation instead of this machine that we built that we're all getting chewed up by now. Yeah. Uh, well, Darren, hugely, hugely inspiring stuff. Um, I'll have you leave us with, Three questions I like to ask all my guests because I'm sure you'll have great answers. I mean, we could end the podcast right there because it was so good, but I'll ask you these three questions. And the first one is just a mushroom that you love and why, and this can be any mushroom, wild forage, food, medicine, psychedelic, anything, uh, a mushroom that you love and why? Well, then I'd have to give it to the psilocybin mushroom, in particular the Cambodian cubensis, because it was the first psilocybin mushroom that I cultivated and allowed me to now do what I do, what I love and what I've got a passion for, man. You know, the, the files that I received after cultivating and then partaking in that organism has been life-changing, life-shifting. And um, I feel forever indebted to, to my Cambodians, man. And there's many others out there, you know. And after then I have to give a shout-out to the oyster mushroom, man, because as a gourmet mushroom, it was the first that I cultivated. And for me, it's the transformation that I see taking place within the young people because it's such an easy mushroom to grow. It's one that I can share with young people. So I know you asked for one, but I put two out there just to, you know, because, yeah, the, the oysters were coming through. The technology was coming through saying, don't forget about us. Where one is good, two is always better. And I think <laughs> so many of us are going to be adopting your technology perspective. Now, I love that idea of these things as technologies that are changing somehow our fundamental biological hardware here. Yeah. And then another really broad question that we've nibbled around the edges of the whole time, but what has this relationship specifically with fungi that you've developed, what has that given back to you? You know, as you've developed a partnership with this organism, what have you received from that? Yeah, man, definitely a relationship that I never would have thought I would would have been so deep into my in my life, you know, to the point where, you know, 
when I talk about my babies, my children, partners of the past would look at me and think I'm talking about them. And, you know, I'm talking about <laughs> talking about my babies, man. <laughs> you know, and they're like, you've you, you really lost the plot. So as far as the relationship that I formed with this organism, I said, I'm forever indebted to this man, you know, in a sense where, you know, my early experiences, it really kind of gave me the files I needed to shift things around in my life to create a better future for myself, you know, and I'm kind of living my dream, man. And my dream was really simple. I just want to travel the world. That's what I want to do and teach and share. And then the mushroom said, well, if you're going to teach and share about us, you know, we'll support you with that. But you've got to go through these challenges and, you know, to get the rewards. And, you know, I had to go through the trauma. I had to go through certain things, lighten my load. And now I'm saying all that to say that I've created a, a pretty much sustainable livelihood for myself just through this organism, man. You know, there's like, I don't have to do pretty much some of the other things I used to have to do in life. And I could just focus on this organic technology, this organism. And it looks after me, man. It takes care of me, man. So I do my best to take care of it too and keep that exchange going, man. Yeah, you can't ask much more from a non-human organism than that really any organism, human or otherwise. Yeah, I, I don't think of any human I could ask to give me that kind of relationship. So yeah, hugely, hugely impactful. And then the final question is, again, something broad that I think we've hit on here and there, but this idea of as, especially the Western world, because I think much of the Eastern world already has a very intimate relationship with fungi, but as the Western world rediscovers fungi and develops our partnership deeper and deeper, what is your highest hope for how that will change our cultures and societies of modern Western societies as we become more in tune and aligned with fungi? You know, the main area that's kind of being showcased at the moment is the medicinal value of what fungi have to offer, you know, as an alternative to the pharmaceuticals that have been offered to us, shoved down our throats for years now, and really serve us no purpose outside of supporting the corporates to do what they do. They are not actually healing. They're not getting to the root cause of the problem that's challenging folks with their, you know, their physical or mental, you know, challenges. So for me, that's, you know, the the hope, the blue sky thinker, as I mentioned, that the people that are currently holding the fly in the flag, got the banner, really consider the people on the ground, so to speak. But at the same time, I think that's why I do what I do. And I want to inspire others to do something very similar where, you know, we start from the ground up. We don't build our houses from the roof, you know, we start from the ground up. So let's just start from the ground up. And I feel that if we can integrate and have mature conversations about psychedelic mushrooms, then we're about to shift this whole thing. We really can shift this whole thing, you know, from an individual, because, you know, all those who partake, we all know what it can do, the potential that it has for you, the work that you go through, that you're going through, and what comes out the other end. Lack of a better term, a better version of yourself or a version of yourself that can look yourself in the mirror now and know where your flaws are and accept them and, you know, know where your ego is and not necessarily cry to kill it or get rid of it, but deal with it, handle it, man, and become, own who you are and, you know, not move in fear and, you know, these kind of things. So the combination of people kind of healing themselves mentally and physically, the potential of fungi to be able to do that, for me, is like groundbreaking. It's life-changing. It's cosmic-changing, you know? So, yeah, and it's just about getting that balance again, man. And like, as long as we're on the ground, it's people like you, people like myself that are sharing and making sure that we've got a reach that we've got. And the guys at where they're at in the universities and, you know, in the meeting rooms and the boarding rooms are doing what they're doing, because I think they're going to do what they're doing anyway. And it's not about stopping what they're doing, you know. It's no, they're going to do that. If that's what they're going to do, what are you going to do? 
If you know what their move is, what's your move then? And if your move is to set up your own retreats, your own centers, your own therapeutic spaces, then that's what you may need to do. If you can't afford the 50,000 pound, it might cost you to do a series of work over a year working with this organism. Well, then teach people how to cultivate so they can grow their own technology and create a safe space and place for them to be able to partake and learn how to do the work, you know? And like I was taught by Kalindi, you know, it's like, just take it to the mushrooms, man. They will tell you what, how it works. People like Paul Stamets, says, you know, you know, show the six ways minimum mushrooms can help save the world. You know what I'm saying? And create sustainable materials for us, biofuels, you name it, let alone you making that shift within yourself. So that inside journey then reflects what's going on outside of us. And I think it makes the place a better place, man, most definitely. But hey, let's see how long that takes. Let's see what's <laughs> the implications are massive. I think they can't be overstated. I I like to believe that if people follow the path you've laid out there, that our society will look entirely different. People will start turning away from the big institutions that kind of run everything now and turn toward their local communities, turn toward the people around them and just develop something different. You know, I've often joked with people that this world could be all of us in a pastoral setting, growing our own food. We wouldn't have to be wearing white linen, but I see us all kind of dressed in white linen, just like <laughs> connecting with nature. This could be an entirely different picture than what we're doing now. Mm. Uh, and, and I'm excited to see if giving it to the mushroom can can lead us in some more beneficent direction. Well, Darren, thank you so much for coming on the show and really elucidating some powerful insights, unpacking some huge concepts. You know, there were a couple of times I caught myself just listening, wanting to hear more. So I encourage people to go check out all of your work go follow you on all the different platforms because it'll be hugely, hugely enriching. Uh, and just thank you for for sharing your time with us. Coming no, on the show. I really appreciate you opening your platform and inviting me to share and spread the spores. As I said, I was a big fan, man. I am a big fan. So to be on your platform doing this is like, yeah, a step in the right direction for me and my work and the movements, you know, as far as, as I said, not wanting or not feeling like this was something I was ever going to be doing in life. And then to be checking out the people that are, Doing the work is also, you know, a complementary path that I'm, you know, I'm on. So I want to just commend you, encourage you to keep up the work as well. Keep popping up. Welcome to the mushroom hour, you know, and <laughs> doing it the way that you do it, <laughs> doing the way that you do it. Because yeah, man, it, it resonates and I feel it, and I'm sure you have inspired people the same way, man. Yeah.